Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. I'm Zachary Beta-Shamai. I'm Eddie Meredith. And Eddie, how perfect is this? I mean, we are sitting across the table from each other. Both just hands in the air, not knowing what to do, bursting with excitement. I Knives out. Oh boy, I this mean, could get really awkward really yeah, fast. Yeah, because I am a Western guy, he am, is a Guelph guy. Yes, sir. There is history between these two teams. <laughs> and in the AIDS Cup this weekend, we're going to be seeing a rematch from a game the two of us played in no. some three years ago. The Guelph Griffins visiting the Western Mustangs. This, of course, the product of the two OUA semifinal games. We had the pleasure of seeing this weekend with the Mustangs taking out the Ravens and with Guelph with the upset victory, traveling to Ottawa to take off the Red Hot GGs. As always, we're going to dive into these games, tell you what happened, who looked good, what plays just were... Got to go back to the replay and watch those ones. And, of course, we'll set up the... What what number is it this year? Is it 111? Sure. Y- Yates uh, Cup? The, yeah, I sure. I don't know. There's been a lot. There's been quite a few. It's, it's a very old, old trophy. In fact, the oldest, I think, in all of... North American football. It's wild. It's 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 up there for sure. It's very old. Yeah, I almost yeah. regret drinking out of it, but you know, uh, yeah, that might not have been a great call. Perhaps not. But hey, I'm still kicking now, so we'll set up that game. And uh, I think we're still com- trying to figure out what a nice little uh, gentleman's bet could be for this one. Yeah, uh, no, I'm I'm feeling confident, <laughs> but as a Western guy, I'm never really confident until they're up by fifty. So yeah, that can be that can I'm be never dangerous. never as confident as I want to be because you know I just that, that's what I expect, but. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. So this episode's gonna be chock full of Guelph Western hype, and of course we'll go over the other leagues in Canada. We have of course the uh, Can West final set, RCQ, and out east what's happening there. All getting you ready for the Vanier Cup playoffs, which are happening so so soon. But of course the first step is the eights, and before we get there, let's break down how we got there. So let's kick it off with Guelph and Ottawa. Final score in this game. Guelph 27, Ottawa 22. This was a comeback victory for the Griffins, putting up 17 points in the fourth quarter to make it all happen. A week three rematch, a game which was decided of, I think, a two-point deficit in this in that one. This game looked like we could have had a similar outcome near the end, a two-point Ottawa win, but... It's a two-point. If it, it looked as if we could have had oh, another oh. two-point auto win in this say, one. I, if you didn't get the memo, <laughs> no, yeah. Well, I, I, mean, om- I almost didn't get the memo because the broadcast cut out about oh, I don't know late in the third quarter and didn't pick up till the end of. No, it just didn't pick up at all. It was incredibly choppy. I was watching this game. I was watching this game and the Western game live, and I uh, I was having such a tough time with the broadcast. I was like, well, I'm gonna watch the film. I mean, Ottawa's up by a ton, and yeah, I mean, Guelph can't play from behind, right? Yeah, right. Oh, oh, maybe they can. Well, I mean, my first thought in this was, you know, going back to Guelph's homecoming, the the comeback they almost had when they played Queens that day, and that was that was a bigger comeback. But I guess when if you, if I were to say which was the bigger comeback, I mean, that was twenty four straight points for Guelph against Queens, but you lost. So I mean, seventeen straight points, and it was like it was late too. I think the last like nine or ten minutes of this game, they started. I mean, getting at seventeen points. straight points, yes, but twenty-seven points in the second half. True, yeah. So I mean, yeah, the Ottawa had four points in the second half, but twenty-seven points in the second half. You know, it doesn't have to always be the uninterrupted number of, of, sure. of points in a comeback, especially right? when the number interrupting it is only four, or yeah. it's not. It's not exactly that, um, like ten points, four points, seventeen. But yeah, I, I get your point. But you know, this was going into this game. We talked about how if conditions are nice, we can see. 
like it wouldn't surprise me to see a, you know a 40 points on each side of the board for these two teams these are teams that have shown at times they can you know move the ball but would it surprise me a little bit against Ottawa's defense and that's secondary because I don't see how you get 40 points strictly running the ball and that's True. I mean frankly that's what Guelph did I yeah. mean for most of the game was strictly run the ball and it was, you know, it's, it's a tactic that not only worked because of the strength of that offensive line and the runners that they were using in this game, that's J.P. Simonkinda and Theo Landers at the quarterback position, but also because the elements kind of forced it. It was it looked brutally cold. It was raining. There was a big delay to the game, which the broadcasters didn't seem to, you know, they didn't seem like they had any extra info on what was causing it. I don't know if it was weather-related, but, you know, definitely – um, you know, what looked like a brutal game to be playing in. Yeah, and then the conditions showed up early. I mean, I was watching, wondering, like, what is going on with Ferraro? Like, he's yeah. had – I mean, early in the game, there were lots of two and outs, but the field position game was just so incredibly in Ottawa's favor. Yeah, it, oh, the field – it was wild. It literally, you know, talking about field position, the tail of two halves, because, you know, if you go through in the play-by-play and the drive summaries, there's actually almost – a it's almost hard to believe the first 10 drives of the whole game all started in Guelph territory. Okay, sure, whatever. But on top of that, and this might be off by a, a, you know, a play or two, I, I was kind of roughly counting. From what I counted, in the first quarter alone, there was 32 plays run between both of these two teams. All 32 were in Guelph territory. In the first half as a total, there's a discrepancy of 59 plays run in Guelph zone. Once again, you know, approximately, I was kind of just counting uh, roughly, to 13 for Ottawa. So you look at Guelph putting up a goose egg in that first half. Yeah, to your point exactly, special teams and the weather and how that affected it, just massive in this game. Absolutely massive. And so with this game, let's look at first with Ottawa and the the running attack for them because, you know, Dawson O'Day really, I mean, he missed, I think, the second game of the season uh, for Ottawa. It was really in week three when these two teams met up that we really saw him come onto the scene and just show that he's going to be in contention with the other big names that we have. And, you know, passing was a bit of a challenge on this game for both teams. Obviously, we kind of talked about the weather. But O'Day, another really nice day on the ground despite the loss. 21 attempts, 142 yards, and two touchdowns. Yeah, and he had huge chunk plays as well as just a lot of successful grinding in between the tackles. And that was impressive in my opinion because they didn't have Thomas Rollins at right yeah. tackle, so they had to kick out Brian Latouche to right tackle. I thought he did a pretty good job actually all day against a, you know, a pretty solid front. Yeah. And then they brought in uh, Nick Sign at right guard, and I think he's a first-year kid. So, I mean, that's, that's not ideal. You don't really want to be starting first years against that front, but hey, they did it. And, uh, you know, again, like, we we saw some really brilliant stuff from O'Day running early. Some of it was mm. decently blocked. Some of it, that was just all Dawson. I mean, he had one play where it looked like he was going to get stacked up behind the line of scrimmage for, like, a five-yard loss. And he just keeps turning his legs and then cuts backside yeah. and then upfield. And he gets 20 yards out of nothing. That eventually sets up a touchdown. And a couple of those chunk plays, it looked like they probably caught Guelph in wrong play right time if, if you're Ottawa where they were maybe blitzing on the weak side and they just it one of the situations that could have easily turned into a loss of five if that extra defender gets there right in time but if you can break free get out of the box there's probably gonna be a lot of green space um and I know we kind of talked about this a little bit and we're going to talk about Alex Taylor when we get into the western game and obviously in our preview of the eights but the the way he runs 
not being the biggest dude. I mean, I mean he like he's jacked. Like I, I remember seeing at the Ottawa Toronto game, going to that game live. And you can just see him on the sideline, like his legs, his arms. This dude is absolutely just He's a monster. He's a he's a monster, a little pocket Hercules looking guy. But he kind of his running style reminds me of Taylor and to kind of, to go off of some of those runs you were describing where it looks like he's going to get jammed up or he's got into a pile but then all of a sudden he just spins up or spins out or is just saying oh no let me find another gap like he's he's an incredible incredible back and his vision is just just remarkable yeah and he had two touchdowns on the day uh, and one of them really shouldn't have i mean it shouldn't they shouldn't have had the opportunity for the first one because Guelph took some really really costly penalties in the first half and you know it's surprising that these kind of mistakes didn't end up costing them the game I mean Guelph's comeback was remarkable great there were some mistakes they made that really should cost you the game or Mm. or, I mean they absolutely imperiled the game so there was the early roughing the kicker penalty on Guelph and now Guelph's field goal block team is good and I don't know what Ottawa was doing on their field goal protection because there were some really questionable plays. Guelph should have had like another block easily, and they did have a block later in the game uh, that ended up getting Ottawa a rouge instead of a field goal. So that was a two-point play swing. But on the first roughing the kicker penalty, I mean, I don't know if it was technically roughing the kicker or running into the kicker. That's yeah. a um, a nuance of if it, you know if it's forceful, if it's to the leg, you know how how big of a hit it is. Either way, it got Ottawa the first down, and then Dawson O'Day got a touchdown run. Yeah, very next play. Yeah. Next play. Yeah. So that was a four-point penalty, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, very early in the game. And then later in the first half, there were two 15-yard penalties that set up another Dawson O'Day touchdown run. And, I mean, extended the drive and extended the drive. And, again, 30 yards after already seeing a nice Dawson O'Day run. Like, that was most of that drive. So... There were some really costly plays by Guelph in the first half. And, you know, they were just – Ottawa was firing on all cylinders, it seemed like. And, and Guelph was – well, not firing on all cylinders. Ottawa – they weren't passing the ball as effectively as they would want to be. The wind was a problem. Mm-hmm. And when, it's, when the wind is this intense, it's a problem when you're with it and against it. When you're against it, it's a bigger problem. When you're with it, it's just going to throw off the sort of the finely tuned passing, right? Because, again, yeah. if, it, if balls are carrying. But – Ottawa was firing early. Dawson O'Day had a brilliant first half. Yeah. And, I mean, it was just like the, the game felt like it was over. It really did. No, it, it, it really did. And I, I read a quote from uh, one of the local Guelph papers when they were kind of breaking out this game afterwards. And um, they had interviewed Coral, and he kind of talked about how at halftime there was a sort of quiet over the locker room. But he he described it as like a quiet confidence. They all kind of knew that, you know, if not for some of those dumb mistakes, those stupid plays, they're totally in this game. And I think it's it's a brilliant. It's that's the that's the to me that's the mark of, of a veteran, experienced team that just from the outside looking in, I felt the same way. I just Guelph couldn't get anything going. Whether they were had the win, whether against the win, whatever it was, trying to pass, trying to run, nothing going. But clearly, this team had the confidence within that they knew they could come back. And it, you know, as we mentioned, it it, it truly was solely the run game you know both of these um both the backs are i guess both of the main runners being theo and and jp both over 100 theo with 134 yards on the ground which six more yards than he threw for in the game um one td and then jp Simonkinda coming off that monster game 
versus Waterloo last week in the quarterfinal game, finishing with 119 yards and one touchdown of his own. And, you know, JP, obviously stats, when you talk about the stats, not as impressive a game as the week prior against Waterloo. Like, that was a special outing for this first-year kid. But he is he's a he's a really good runner. He is. Yeah. He runs zone well. Like he just you can see him reading off his offensive line's blocks. And this offensive line deserves a ton of credit. Like they played a great game. They really like everywhere. Yeah. Colin Jerome was killing people. Coulter Woodmansey was killing people. I mean, Stark Stark Zala is, you know. Uh, I think he's been injured for like I think he's been playing injured. He's certainly been playing a little bit gingerly compared to where he was before that first Ottawa game earlier in the year. But he's still killing people. McFalls yeah. is playing great. Peach, like everyone's playing well. Yeah, no, everybody. And and so yeah, JP was I mean just running effectively behind that line the whole day. And what what um, what I find most impressive is you know you take into account the size of him. I mean they said on the last week's broadcast that he's 225 pounds. I I remember the first time I saw him in person. I do not doubt it. No, absolutely. First time I saw him on, in person I was like, "Oh, how did Johnny Augustine like get Gro- back on the field grow and get three bigger? inches and get exactly, back on the field?" Exactly, right? Like he is a monster. But to have that uh, awareness of a back, you, you see a guy of his size and you think, "Okay, let's run gap schemes. Let's get him going downhill and just, you know where he's going to go. He can hit it full speed and just run people over. No, he's a very intelligent runner. He can read his gaps. And kind of like we were saying with O'Day, if one gap, one door closes, he's not going to try and barge his way through, which once again, you might expect with some of his size, but really, really positive sign for this, the Guelph future. Cause of uh, course he's a CJP kid, but only his first year now in the OUA. Yeah. So. He looks like the kind of kid who, would run gap scheme well, but he runs zone well. And that's great because zone is the harder one to teach. Like, exactly. Running running very hard through a gap, anyone can do that. Mm. Some people do it better than others, <laughs> but anyone can do it. Yeah, yeah. Running zone well? No, if you can't do that, you can't do it. And it's, it takes a while to learn. And it's, yeah, it's a very difficult thing. So, you know, they were running the ball very well. And we talked about earlier in the year, can Theo win them games with this kind of production? And the answer is yes. Like we we agreed this can be done. Well, it was done. So we were we were right. But on the very next drive after that Ottawa touchdown that came after the penalty, Theo throws a pick. And this was not a good pick. No. This was a your you know tight man coverage threw it slightly behind him. I think it was Cody was, Cranston in coverage. Yeah. I think there was two there's two defenders there, I think. Two but, two yeah. I mean it was it was cover two. It was cover two man, right? right so okay. there was a uh, another uh, deep defender, sure, but right. the guy in man coverage made the pick. Mm-hmm. And it was I mean that was one of those plays. Like after I saw that I was like yeah, I mean I literally have it in my notes. Can Guelph <laughs> play while trailing after that pick? Nah, nope. I mean cuz yeah. if they have to pass the ball all day, that's going to be a problem. But Good for them on not overreacting to being down and being yeah. down 18 nothing and getting away from their bread and butter running the ball. Exactly, especially because, you know, going once again, going back to that Queens game and where you, you they had that other big comeback in this season, they came back in that game by loading the box up at times, getting one-on-one coverage with some of their receivers and just taking shots downfield, those end zone corners with Kean Schaefer-Baker, Cade Bellick. But you know, late late in this game, late third into the fourth, as we mentioned, it was all done on the ground. And even at times, I have in my, I have in my notes where there's a couple passes that near interceptions for Ottawa late in the game, where I'm just like, okay, like you know, take your shot. But as as you as you remarked, nowhere your bread is buttered. And it was the run game, and they did a remarkable job. And of course, the defense for them 
really stepped up as well. You know, a lot of two and outs for Ottawa late. Um, you know, big ups to Preezy for there was a fake punt he called mid-fourth. Not to jump ahead too much here, but I'm trying to remember. I think it was mid-fourth. They weren't getting anything going. Guelph had already had one touchdown. They obviously had the momentum. As we kind of mentioned, tail of two halves in terms of field position. Most of this half is now in, in the fourth quarter being played in Ottawa territory. Yeah, late fourth quarter, a fake punt, like double reverse to Jamie, ends up getting the first down, which you know could have been so close to putting the nail in the coffin on this one. But obviously, if they had you know not executed that play and just had the ter- ball turned over around midfield, once again, you're you're giving a hot Guelph offense good field position. So I mean, yeah, I mean oof. they went they went two and out after that play. So if you're you know if you count it as like a new drive sure. in a way, they they went two and out after. So it, it didn't actually net them anything. Uh, but it was an aggressive play, and you love it. And you think, well, yeah. I mean, get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Your playmaker happens to be a defensive back. Well, so, hey, let's just – we're going to snap it to the up back. And it was just it was just a single reverse for them, right. for clarity's sake. Yeah, yeah. They snapped it to the up back. Uh, Harry came in sort of that, that motion. or It's not even really a reverse. It's almost just like a, a fly, a sweep, sure, or whatever yeah, you want to yeah. call it. I don't know. Anyways. And, and Harry, I mean, he just gets the first down on that. Yeah. But, Put it in the hands of your best athletes, right? Yeah, and, and this is now two weeks in a row where we've seen Harry also just taking reps on offense, credited with one catch. I, I feel like he had another catch that I think got called back on a penalty of some kind. Um, but, yeah, obviously, you know, no Vieira. Like I, that, and that's the other big injury news. You know, that's massive. I, from talking uh, with people from Ottawa, it seemed like, you know, maybe his lack of appearances in at least the – last couple of games in the regular season uh, are just in anticipation that, you know, they had, pro- they had not to say they locked up the bye in the, in, in the second place in the OUA, but it was very likely that they were going to get that bye. No, no rush, no, no use rushing him back into any game where he can get rested. They had the extra week. So, I mean, I, I still don't really know what it was. I know in the Panda game, he was on crutches when he left. So seemingly a lower body injury of some kind with, which for someone as explosive as he is, and just as someone who's such a good runner as he is, you know, it, it, it's it's massive. But you'd even think that if it were in a playoff game, Vieira at 70%, that's going to help you out. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the situation was there. I yeah. mean, I, you know, the issue is without Vieira, they only have one really polished receiver. And I don't even know if it's fair to call Vieira a super polished receiver. He's just a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. But they only really have Carter Matheson, who I consider to be a great receiver, because Kalen Beaver is a great vertical stretcher and very effective on the sort of the fly motion on the um, – yeah. when you have him running horizontally, but uh, – and vertically. But, but, I mean, so without more than Matheson, it does hurt their receiving group. And Matheson had a nice day. He had a yeah. nice – Really nice catch in double coverage. That like uh, got them down to like the end zone. Or that that the that, end zone. that covered you know forty yards of the field. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that got didn't get them to the end or zone was, on that one. Okay. But it was that was just you know that was a great massive chunk if nothing else reverse field. I forget what the result was on that, but it's just a really nice play by Matheson or what the result was on that drive. Right. But it was a great play by Matheson, and uh, obviously you know he's he's the guy for them. So. If they had Vieira, would they have been able to do some different things? Would they have been more of a threat with the intermediate, short intermediate passing? Sure. Probably, yeah. right? And I mean, and not having Rollins, that, that you know, Brian Latouche played a nice game in relief at right tackle. And I didn't see anything terrible out of a first-year guy they had replacing him at right guard. But if they had Thomas Rollins, it would have been a little bit better. Yeah. 
Uh, who knows? Who knows? Like if that was enough. I I mean it, I mean this is a Guelph defense that's been getting after the quarterback all year long. So I mean this just seemed like such an opportunity for them to really make some noise. But only credit with two sacks on the day: one for Greg Corfield and one for Jeremy Kaplansky. Um, both of which were on uh, I wouldn't say broken plays, but just plays that were you kind call of them covered, covered sacks. sacks. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. And and Corfield sack. I mean, oh boy, that he, was oh boy. He hit he hit Sawyer <laughs> Buner, and you're like, yeah, man, Sawyer felt that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a big body to fall on you. And you know, you tackle him and rolling him to the ground. And he just you can see the force just of him just being kind of you know rolled into the ground. Was, yeah. Eesh. And I think the Kaplansky one was on Laverick. Uh, I'm guessing he's probably got the bigger arm because he came in for. What was Ottawa's last series? I'm guessing just as he's the the hail mary guy for them. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, uh, Ottawa's offensive line obviously stepping up to the challenge of facing a very formidable defense, specifically in your front six, front seven, um, and at least in some of those pass rushers, holding them to a, a reasonable day to say the least. I mean, you know, we've talked about so many of these weapons, whether it's you know Robinson or, or, or Walker or, or Simon Kinda, you know. Not that they didn't contribute. I mean, obviously they've still they they have you can have effect without necessarily being on the stat so sheet. Do you mean Carter Wilson? You said yeah. Walker. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, Wilson. <laughs> Ugh. Cam Walker. He was also a weapon, a defensive end for Guelph a little while back. Yeah, and they ain't they ain't blitzing Elijah Walker all that much. No. much. But yeah, so. Uh, but there was there was a decent amount of pressure. All the same, mm-hmm. uh, I definitely. I mean, I've been impressed with Ottawa's rookie left tackle uh, Palejos. He is going to be a very good player. But he's still very raw, and that shows up in pass protection. His hand usage and his and his kick step are just they're sort of what you expect from a first year offensive lineman. Yeah. They're not very good, but he's big and he's very physical. So he was giving a kind of a soft edge for some of the day to Carter Wilson uh, and some of the other uh, hmm. edge rushers for Guelph. But it, it didn't net them a ton of sacks. Yes, it still did have an effect on the game. You could tell that was a part of why the passing game couldn't get going for sure. Now moving towards the end of the game on, on the, the final drive. Cause we kind of talked about this game had a few Guelph bounces or not necessarily literal bounces per se, but sure. Just there was definitely, I mean, it, it, it Ottawa had their breaks, but it, <laughs> the last drive, I mean, that, that pass to uh, a Brishani was, I mean, seemingly a miracle enough in itself, just the hail Mary up there. Uh, he was covered. It was, I think it was Alex Douglas on the coverage. I don't know what it was. I, I've only seen the the one camera angle of it, so really hard to decipher just what exactly it was that happened on that play. It just kind of seemed like Douglas just froze up in the moment. I, I don't know. I, I'm not trying to put, put him on blast or anything like that. But, you know, that catch alone. The coverage looked tight. The coverage the co- looked tight on a on a scramble after good protection in the pocket. Feel rolls out, you know, having sort of his internal clock telling him yeah. I got to get out of here. Rolls to the left. Heaves one up. I mean, you have Brishani who has essentially converted a post on the far side of the field into like a super deep crosser. And, yeah, Alex Douglas, it looks like he's in great coverage. Yeah. And so and and something happened, ultimately resulting in the Brishani touchdown. But just leading up to that play, there was four plays on that final drive. First play, Theo under tremendous pressure escapes just an absolute dead to right sack. I'm forgetting who the defender was for Ottawa. Ends up finding Lucas Brennan, uh, releasing out of the backfield, gain of four, whatever. Just avoids the massive sack. On the second play, Starcella got beat out right tackle, and I think it was Pizzuto who had been killing them all day long. Luckily, he gets bailed out. 
by uh, you know one of his other blockers. I don't know if it was the running back stepping up um, or whether it was Coulter and at right guard sliding over to help him. But you know it just offensive line get beat that happens. But just in that situation, then the third place from scrimmage they run, they hand it off to Simon Kinda. He gets wrapped up in the backfield and kind of almost looked like a rugby play where you turn your back into the ruck and then you just pitch it, laterals it back to Theo, who tries to find someone, you know, loss of whatever on the play. But it's just three plays that... But the thing is, is, is that there was no design there. So like, no. you'd look at that and you'd say, oh, well, maybe it was a flea flicker that they were really trying <laughs> to hold them. None of the receivers were no. running routes downfield. They were all blocking. Yeah, so I just... It's just crazy, this final drive you had... Just a should a, a should uh, a sack that just should have happened. Theo pulled a miraculous move. Give him all the credit in the world. You have one of your best offensive linemen, one of the best tackles in the province, getting beat, and then you have this weird flea flicker thing happening with all leading to, of course, the fifty nine. Uh, I believe it was fifty nine yard touchdown to Brashani to to seal the deal. Um, but man, just. And bringing it back, I mean, so that that was an incredible series for sort of four plays that went right for Guelph. And, you know, we, we've talked about how you need to be lucky sometimes. Uh, being lucky is better than being good. And, and how Guelph has created a lot of their own luck. Well, they're good and they're lucky and they force their own luck. Something else that, you know, could get forgotten by the wayside is Ottawa had a disastrous second half on specials. Like, it was, mm. I mean, that's what really cost them the game. They had a a punt well they had a long snap dropped by the punter hit him directly in the hands he's you know i don't know if he's nervous or if he's you know just looking downfield for where he's going to try and place this punt he drops the long snap then sort of fumbles it a bit it's recovered by guelph so guelph gets a touchdown what like right afterwards yeah uh if i'm not mistaken and that that obviously is an enormous play so there you go i mean that's that's the first seven points that guelph gets on the board Guelph also should have blocked two field goals. They settled for only blocking one on the day. I don't know what Ottawa is doing in their field goal protection. They are giving very weak, short edges. And on the blocked field goal, I forget who it was who blocked it for Guelph. But, like, I I mean, this is just a formational issue for Ottawa on their field goal protection. Like, it, I've never seen such a short edge in my entire life. Right. The Guelph defender was able to run a straight line to block this field goal. Yeah. That ended up netting Ottawa one point. But that two-point differential, because you should never get a field goal blocked, essentially. You, one in every hundred field goals should get blocked. <laughs> yeah. You know, something like that. Yeah. But all the other ones should not. And they almost had two blocked on the day. This one cost them two points. That two-point margin, that would have been the game. Or that would have been a tie. So that great Hail Mary by Guelph, that wouldn't have won them the game. Perhaps you would say Guelph would have just gone for a one-point conversion earlier than the two-point conversion they tried earlier in the game. But who knows? Yeah. All the same. Like, these little things, and, well, in fact, those aren't little things. Those are enormous things. Yeah. If you can't block field goal efficiently, I mean, that's devastating. And they had, I mean, it was Jason Richards who almost brocked. Ah, excuse me, almost blocked one earlier. Yeah. And I don't even know how he didn't. Like, it was like, yeah. it must have gone, like, right underneath his arm, practically taking the hair off his arm, because it was just, I going back and watching it, it's hard to imagine how he didn't block it. He was right in front of it. Well, they credit Jason Richards with two blocks on the day and no one else, so I don't, 
not sure how that all shaked out in the course of the game. I guess he got the one that you were referring to. I'm trying to remember what hmm. the other one would have been. Um, but you know, I'll always love to give the Metrotron Wild guys a shout out, and you know, not gonna hesitate for Jason because obviously the blocks. Uh, got himself a couple tackles and a couple nice def- uh, breakups he had defending some of these Ottawa receivers. I remember one in particular on Matheson, and Matheson has to have like five inches on him at the least. You know, a definite definite discrepancy in terms of height there. Um, so obviously a big shout out to our uh, former Wildcat. Well, not that we played with him, but you know another former Wildcat. But you talk about some of those little things biting Ottawa, whether it's just formationally in terms of your field goal protection. You know, one thing that they definitely got right in this game is, is the penalties, which is something that's plagued them all all season long. You know, seven to nine uh, penalties, go Ottawa to Guelph, but Guelph accumulating more yards as a result of that. And, you know, penalties, one of those things where it's not all penalties are created equally. And we saw for Guelph, penalties just at the worst possible time becoming a, a factor. But just penalties have been issued for this team you talk about the field goal uh you know blocks and formations just things that can so easily be cleaned up as a team and as a unit even over the course of a season that it's you know this is a very good team and uh you know in in the coming weeks we'll go over uh, a little bit in terms of sort of where they stand moving forward but it's just frustrating when you see a team that has so much talent and then it just doesn't come together because of sometimes those just just silly mistakes, silly mistakes, whether by by the coaching staff, by the players, whatever it is, you know, it, it's happening. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there were a lot of silly mistakes in this game. It was a an extremely sloppy game for teams that, you know, have been playing good football, are well coached, and sloppy, sloppy on Ottawa's side on specials, but sloppy, I mean... Sloppy all over the place in terms of just being, you know, costly mistakes at... at, at at times when, you know, you just couldn't afford to make them. Yeah. And in playoff games, you really can never afford to make those sloppy mistakes. Yeah. And, well, if you're Guelph, you just got to move on from it and see what you can do to take on those big purple giants, as they will be doing next week in London. And uh, Saturday, well, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock, as always. Um, but, of course, there was another game happening this weekend, which was in London. The Ravens taking on the aforementioned Western Mustangs. So let's put that Guelph-Ottawa game to bed and let's move on to the other semifinal matchup. Final score in this one, the Western Mustangs 39, the Carlton Ravens 13. Wind, rain seemed like it also played a bit of a factor in this one. But ultimately this was, I mean, this is a game where it kind of reminded me of the Western-Ottawa game where through the first half, maybe what was, Ultimately, what was ultimately probably just a bit of a sloppy game on both by both teams had me in this thought of, okay, Carlton's staying in it, a couple breaks their way, and they can really you know make some noise in it. But you know, Western just it just started to snowball in the second, and then the third quarter, and then the fourth, and well, I guess an outcome that not many people were surprised by with the twenty-six point victory on the day. But you know, early on, early on, it could have it could have gone either yeah. way, right? I could have seen it almost being in Carlton's favor going into half. Mm. Obviously, Western, you know, really made great halftime adjustments and came out flying. But you know, it was it was close. I mean, it was yeah, it was twelve six going into half, and I yeah, you know, I absolutely could have seen it being closer. Carlton had a um, just before half, they had a play that 
it, it didn't obviously determine the game, but it determined probably the outlook going into half because Carter got stacked up on after basically a drive, like a brilliant drive where they had thrown to a Loki a whole bunch. Right. Like they had thrown to a Loki like four consecutive times, and a Loki had done a nice job to get open on all those plays. He's a great receiver. Nathan Carter takes the handoff, is about three yards from the end zone, gets stacked up at about the two, gets stripped by Jake Andrews, one of the, the young defensive backs for Western. And that, you know, Western doesn't recover, but they put them back five yards. On the next play, Frazier Sopic jumps a slant to deny Carlton the touchdown. Yeah, and that looked like if he did get his mitts on it, that looked like I don't know could've... if Frazier's fast enough to outrun yeah. <laughs> every Carlton receiver for a 110-yard pick. But maybe. But maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And, it, and that would have been insane. It had that James Harrison Super Bowl kind of vibe to it when I first saw him make the breakout. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, Frazier Sobic had a, had a really nice game. But he had really what was an almost insane game. I mean, that was one of two picks that sort of mm. hit him harshly in the hands. This one, I mean, he was really doing a nice job to jump the route. So that, was, that saved him four points because that looked like it would have been goal, converted. Yeah. And, you know, you get a Sam isoed up on a receiver. You think you can... Yeah, you think you advantage. can squeak in a sort of a five-yard slant, but great play by him, and and, no, and, and that and that's why the it ended um, twelve six at half, not uh, twelve to ten. And you know there was a lot of, a lot of we talked about some of the bounces for Guelph in their game versus Ottawa Western themselves, the beneficiaries of some amazing field position that they put themselves in. You know their defense was able to turn the ball over or, or you know make turnovers happen, but you know we got the first touchdown. The first Joseph touchdown, that was that was that was the sequence where you had the 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 Kimbamba. They 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 put it down as the 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 pick, but I don't I, know if it was an interception. Yeah. It looked more like he just stole the ball from For the real. receiver. Yeah, it it was theft. Yeah, it, it was, was amazing. Like who I, I don't remember who the receiver was. I thought it was Dominic Walker. I yeah. could be wrong. Maybe whomever it was. It just looked like there was the catch, and then all of a sudden you kind of see Kamamba really? wrestling for it, and he had the ball. Really nice deep ball. I mean, the coverage was tight, but yeah. it was it was a good route. It was a good catch. And but then that and then he just stole the ball. Just stole the ball, and then on Western's drive after that, you have two nice runs by Taylor, the second of which ended in him fumbling the ball. And it was such a great run, too. It was, yeah. it was unfortunate. He just got, you know, he got hit twice in sort of rapid succession with an arm and then another arm, and it just kind of just jarred the ball loose. His ball security at times has not been his best feature. I mean, we, we know that about him. But, man, was he ever running well. Well, and, and, at, and at that point where he was breaking free of those first couple tackles, I think we were talking about it was like an outside zone play, all he was seeing in front of him was end zone, if I remember correctly. So I can not say forgive, but it's understandable to think that a guy in that position, you're thinking, oh boy, this is six. All of a sudden, someone catches up from you from behind. But anyways, he fumbles. Carlton recovers. Then that ends up leading, I don't know if it was on the first play, but the Deontay Knight strip fumble on the sack, which Western recovers. And then, I don't know, I think they started the drive on Carlton's 10 you're going to punch that in. That was the first, I think that was the first Cedric Joseph touchdown that they had. And then I think on his second touchdown was on uh, another pick by this time, was it McKenzie or? Yeah, McKenzie Ferguson. So this was yeah. another almost play for Frazier Sopic. Not that, he, <laughs> not, not that you care as a player. I mean, you, you, maybe you, you care. You do. Maybe you care a little bit. But anyways, he got under a slant again, uh, you know, or it wasn't even a slant. It might have been a comeback, whatever it was. He's, he's, a, he's a very nice coverage linebacker. So he gets underneath it, and 
The ball hits him in the hands and then in the helmet. <laughs> and that bounces up. Mackenzie Ferguson playing safety in relief of Danny Valente, who was out this week, uh, makes a, the diving, like, one-handed pick. Yeah. And, wow, Mackenzie Ferguson, take a lap, buddy. That was awesome. Oh, I mean, have himself a day. Because that wasn't actually – yeah, that was his first pick. And that one was, you know, in terms of just the pure brilliance and athleticism of the two. Yeah, the diving one-hander reeled it in. But then I think later in the third quarter, he had another pick just playing the deep bomb. And obviously, it doesn't take all that much scouting to know with Carlton, they w- they're going to want to take shots deep. And as we referred to on that one play, um, the first pick that uh, or fumble, whatever you want to say, by Kimbamba on another deep bomb. Ferguson on a second pick on another deep play, returns it to the 15 once again. It's hard enough to bet against this Western offense or really any facet of this team. But when you give them the ball on the opposing team's 15, they're getting points. Yeah, like, that's not ideal. It's, no, it's far from it. And, uh, I mean, so it was a really nice day for the defensive backs of Western. It was also a nice day for the defensive backs of Carlton for the most mm. part. Jonathan Edward playing boundary corner. I mentioned him earlier. I'd forgotten his name when we were talking about All-Stars. He was one of those guys very much in the consideration. Well, still is because they haven't released the list yeah. yet. He had two picks on the day. Very, very nice. I mean, just such great coverage. You know what I mean? Like, I would not throw at him if I were an opposing quarterback because he is always in the right spot. Uh, On the first one, it was an end zone shot. He was running the route for the receiver. The ball might have been slightly overthrown, and he comes up with that. That was the first rouge of the day, I believe, for Carlton. On the second one, Merchant's just throwing up a a, a deep shot for Griffin Campbell, who's one of the receivers for Western, out wide. And... I think, I mean, I don't think, Western thought that they had an offside. So they thought they had a free play. Right, uh, yeah, right. I remember that one. They did not. No. no. Uh, there was a little bit of movement on the defensive line, but he, he hadn't been in the neutral zone. And that that's sort of his, I mean, maybe just slightly ambiguous. But when you watch the film, you can see, like, if I were a betting man, I would have said he didn't cross the, or go into the neutral zone. So, right. Uh, Western snapped it all the same, and whenever you do that, you know, thinking of a free play, thinking, oh, well. You're going to huck it deep. I mean, heck, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, in this case, it wasn't a penalty, and you threw a pick. And you threw a pick. Yeah. So that that's not ideal, yeah. obviously, but uh, overall, you know, such a good day for, for Western's offense. Running the ball against a very stout defensive front. Yeah. And on the day, if you weren't aware that Carlton had a dangerous, de- dangerous front, even without Josh Walsh, who is – Right, uh, we saw you know, him go down. We saw him go down last week, yeah. right? A very good will linebacker. They still have Caster. They still have Hoyt at Sam. Mm. They still have. I think Veltri was playing in relief of Walsh, but that front four. They were causing some noise. Early they were on problematic, and, and it, yeah. again, Western's offensive line's good, but you can beat them. Robitaille, Onyeka, Bowen, like those are nasty. Bowen players. was just tossing people around and to go back to that that first pick you were discussing the one in the end zone and and this was a common occurrence at least in the first half a play that you know merchant took a hit on getting rid of that ball and there was a whole series of you know play after play where he was just taking lick after lick and it was bowen then it was on yeka and then it was the oh casser got him twice just dead to rights laid him laid him out and on top of that you know something that what we've seen Western do um, more often of late is running with Merchant. But, you know, I just – and I'm sure you feel even more strongly about this than I do. I just – I when I think of a star, I just I, – I worry seeing a star Western run, uh, quarterback taking hits like that, knowing that 
well, at least in re- recent history, injuries at that position have cost you dearly. And obviously losing Merchant would be just would be catastrophic for them. And so I'm surprised they're putting him in positions. It's one thing if, you know, a guy gets past your O-line every once in a while, lays a hit on your guy. But then when you're putting him in some of these RPOs and letting him run out into space, it's just you're making him all the more susceptible. He did a better job, I think, in this game than maybe in weeks past protecting himself when he did get mm-hmm. out in the open on the RPO, on the on the read pull. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree. I'm not a huge fan of seeing him get hit. I mean, as a Western <laughs> fan and, you know, as a, as a fan of the player yeah. and, and a friend of the kid, uh, you know, I don't I don't love seeing him get hit. And I think, you know, I it wasn't as though Western ran a ton of stuff with him. Uh, you know, he ran the ball a little bit, but it wasn't, um, you know, looking at the stats, I think Merchant had, yeah, he had, he had four rushes on the day, four things that are registered as rushes. I mean, sacks right. obviously don't count towards that. Four for 26 yards. He, I again, I thought he protected himself pretty well. Yeah, you can't take that out of the game. It's too important. Like it's just, it's too valuable for even for Western with all the weapons they have. You think that if they just said, you know, we're not, we're just gonna block backside and we're just gonna make sure that like, like he's not gonna be a runner. You think that they couldn't have success still? Well, because the RPO does more than just cause the quarterback to run, right? You can you can also do stuff where you're reading will linebackers and right. It can help or, the or, or right. Sams, and yeah. then you can exactly you can do much more to help than just um, taking one extra defender out because you're you're not you're not blocking the backside, you're reading it. So I I think it is important to the offense. There's yeah. a reason they haven't uh, completely written it out of their offense. It it is it's just an efficient way to run it. I mean I. You know, I just didn't want to see Merchant go down, and then for Didn't Gu- you? Well, no, because I don't want to see Merchant go down, and then Guelph win the Yates Cup, and then everyone else saying, "Oh, well, you didn't really beat Weston because the starting quarterback was out." Yeah, that may have been a narrative from a few years ago. It might have been. Might have been. <laughs> yeah. Um, but changing gears real quick, um, over to the Carlton side of things and their offense with Nathan Carter. You know, on the ground, 22 attempts, 86 yards, no touchdowns. And I remember a couple of weeks ago, actually going back to the Ottawa game, when O'Day put up 81 yards. I think he might have had a touchdown or something. And I just remember thinking, you know, not the type of day we're used to from a back like O'Day, just as how, you know, 86 yards isn't the type of day we expect from a back like Nathan Carter. But, you know, you take it with a grain of salt. This is Western's defense. They are phenomenal. And so, but I remember when O'Day put up the 81 while that was a weaker day for him across all his games, I remember kind of joking, this may have been one of the better rushing games against Western's defense. So I actually just did, went through the archives real quick to pull up the better, the best rushing attempt, uh, rushing days anyone's had against him. Number one from the week five matchup against Waterloo, tr- who else? Trey Ford, 88 yards. Second is this Nathan Carter performance with 86, and third is the O'Day performance at 81 in Week Eight. So it's 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 kind of funny where y- you kind of have to contextualize sometimes these performances. Where yeah, in, in the grand scheme of things, when you look at Nathan Carter's season, 86 is probably one of the weaker days, but it was the second best rushing attempt uh, or rushing day anyone's had against Western. So yeah, he also had 46 through the air. I mean, yeah. it, it really wasn't a very good day for Michael Aruda passing. He had. I, it must have been Phil Loki who had that reception that Bleska Kambamba stole because he had 120 yards to the air, and Nathan Carter was second on the team with six catches for 46 yards, and then Quinton Soares with two for 31. Chad Menchelenko, fourth most receiving yards, negative one yard. So yeah. uh, it wasn't a great day passing, but Nathan Carter was also effective there. Western's front is good. So yeah. Carlton's front might be the 
best, except Western's linebackers are better than Carlton's linebackers, as good as they are. Like Western, like Frazier Sopic, Phil Dion, Michael Moore, they all play great games. Uh, Chris Ellis also coming in for when they're in a sort of a 3-4 front. He comes into Sam. They bring uh, Frazier Sopic further inside. It's a very dangerous group, and the defensive line did a really nice job. It's a really nice defensive line. I mean, guys who will go unsung, probably guys like Jimmy Hawley, just do a really nice job of taking double teams. Uh, you know, Stadnik, obviously very nice pressure inside from a defensive tackle. Deontay Knight had a great day. These are pretty good tackles for Carlton. I mean, McGreer was the first-team All-Star last year, remember, and I don't think he's one of the elite tackles in the conference, but, like, it's almost it's hard to say that because he, he played a very nice game against two good defensive ends. Yeah. Jesse Lawson, their other tackle, had a little bit more trouble with Deontay Knight. Uh, that, that happens. Deontay Knight is a, is a terrifying defensive end. I mean, just so big and powerful and explosive. It's, yikes. Anyways, but again, like, this is what I expect from Western in terms of containing teams that think they can yeah. run. It'll be interesting to see how they do that against Guelph because obviously with the the greater dual threat of, of Theo and JP with the mm-hmm. read. I mean, that's, you know, it's one of those things that you talk about getting it out of Western's game plan. Maybe, maybe you want to get the zone read stuff out. Guelph can't and won't and shouldn't because that is just, that is going to be what will give them efficiency on the ground. Absolutely. And and for, for Carlton, it makes it all the more harder to run against anyone, let alone the best defensive front in, you know, in the province is when you're missing a guy like Casey Baker. And we've seen him in and out of the lineup all year long. And just that's just such you know, fifth-year guy from London playing in his hometown, looking to upset the Mustangs. And uh, I don't have the update on, on, on him. On, and what, a baller. And they were also without Daniel O'Mara, who's one of their other, other, yeah. other guards. Uh, Casey, Casey played a little center, a little – he played guard last year. He's just a very good offensive lineman. Yeah. He's so enormous. Like, he's – it would have helped to have him. There's no yeah. doubt. And then Omara being out, uh, that caused them to bring in, I think, Josh Lamberski, who, uh, you know, was big and, and and not bad, I think, but it just Omara is a better player. Uh, so that was obviously a problem for them. Otherwise, you know, they weren't getting a ton of movement inside from their guards. Yeah. Elijah Watson on one side and Lamberski on the other and McKay at center. Not a great interior three, but still big and athletic. Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're bad. They're not bad, mm. but... Without those two guys, they're not as good as they would be. Well, flipping now to Western's offensive line, because early on in this game, you know, every time, every time a team's a new team's played Western, and obviously Carl is Carlton's second time playing them. But anytime Western plays, I'm always just trying to see like where is Western showing any sign of where are they sh- shedding any blood? Like, is it in you know, is it the DBs? Is there anything there? Is it you know on the defensive line? Is it in the run? You know, where is it? And early on. And obviously Carlton's got a fantastic uh, front six, front seven. They were they were beating this offensive line. Like there was obviously some sloppy play going on, but it really just looked like they were manhandling them. And it, it kind of it seemed like Western was kind of going to a little more play action, some short passes just to get the ball out quick, so Carlton couldn't bring as much heat, so they could kind of back off a bit. So I don't know what you were seeing in there with that offensive line whether it was one-on-one matchups or whether it was more schematically. Because, as I said, from just this the vantage point of, well, as it happens, a Guelph fan, I'm trying to think, like, what is the way that you can attack these guys? Maybe defensively it is trying to mix things up, bringing stunts, bringing pressure, bringing, you know, different exotic blitz packages. 
Yeah, so they Carlton definitely brought a lot of stuff, especially early in the game. It was more effective than I think. Uh, I think Western settled in in the second half to that sort of schematic stuff that Carlton was bringing. Obviously, they knew some of the stuff Carlton could bring with their their long long sticking sort of cowboy Indian front linebackers and the twists they were pulling inside. But they have great players, so you know even when you know something's coming, if it's really well executed, it's hard to deal with. You know, everyone has a plan yeah. until they get punched in the face. Is the the old adage or punched in the mouth or whatever, whatever it, is. it is. The the point being that, you know, you can have all the best lead plans for yeah. something. If if it's well executed, it can be a problem. We saw that early. Uh, I think Tevin Bowen had a really nice day inside against uh, Dimitri Pronko, the center for Western, who, you know, I don't want to say he's bad. He's not bad. But just by comparison to, to Wheatley last year, he's not as good. And... Tevin Bowen's an elite tackle. So when you pair those two things, you know, there's a little bit of a hole there or a little bit of a, a, weak, a weak spot, a chink in the armor, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I know you can get it together. It's not, it's not a, uh, a glaring, you know, dire deficiency. It's just if you have one of the elite tackles in the conference, and I absolutely think that's what Bowen is. I mean, he mm-hmm. looks like a first-team all-star to me. Oh, yeah. Uh, the way he's playing, he was – he was doing that to offensive linemen, and he, he just had great plays on the day overall. If the stat sheet doesn't really reflect it, he was dominant. Remarkable combination of strength and athleticism. Right, and exactly what I saw. I mean, I remember him coming out of high school and seeing just – I was just salivating. I was like, wow, this guy is just a brilliant prospect. What high school is he from? Because he's from Toronto, right? I thought he went to football north. Oh, did he? Oh, or, okay. or Canada Prep or one of, the, one of okay. those, I thought. Oh, right on. Um, but just, you know, that's exactly what I thought I would see. It took him a little longer to show it at the university level. But he's really showing it now. And I, I heard from some of the Western offensive linemen that he, he sort of talks to himself while he's playing, <laughs> which is just terrifying. You get this guy who's, you know, you know just powerful and quick and, yeah. and, and, and has devastating sort of strikes. Great. He also might be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just one of those things. You know, you get, you get yourself berserked, you know, into the game. And, yeah. and that's what I imagine he's doing. And uh, it showed. I mean, he had a great game. Great, you know, kudos to him. Good job. As, as a little personal anecdote to that, uh, my, my equivalent of that was Jeff Finley, who I played with anytime going up against him in practice. And I think I think he's still in the Argos now. He's got crazy eyes. And, like, Jeff, I hope you're listening to this just because, you know, more people are listening to us, the better. You know you got crazy eyes. And you I know you I know you know how to use those eyes. If you lock eyes with him across the line of scrimmage, it's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember Cam. I think it might just be a Guelph thing. I remember Cam Walker sort of when I was playing against him. I was like, wow, this guy's in the zone. Like, <laughs> I'm not like I, – I just want to talk shit. And I'm like, not like talk shit, talk shit, but just chat with him mid-game. Yeah. Like, no, like this guy is like not saying a word. He's just looking like he's just trying to hunt down and kill something. Well, Cam Walker is a dinosaur. I don't know if he knows how to speak English, but <laughs> <laughs> He certainly knows how to pass rush. He definitely does. Um, uh, and so does Tevin Bowen. Yeah, uh, and so does Kenny Onyeka, who oh, had a, a really so nice day. So does Frederick So does Frederick Robotai. It's a great front. It yeah. really is. You know, Jesse Cosens is the fourth guy on that list, and Jesse played a pretty good game. I mean, Jesse's a decent player. But Frederick Robotai, oh, my gosh. Like, I remember earlier in the year we were saying, you know, I would play Robotai over Shaheem Charles Brown, their other defensive end, who's younger and athletic, but, you know, a little raw. Robotai, a very mature, like, fourth or fifth-year guy out of CJEP. Boy, like he yeah. is just – he's got a devastating bull rush. He had a great inside move early on to get a big tackle for a loss against – I want to say it was Alex Taylor. It could have been Cedric Joseph, a, a Western running back. And they were definitely getting some good bull rushes. I mean, Zach Fry had a tough time with some of these rushes. He's yeah. the right tackle for the Western Mustangs. So 
And another pl- he didn't have a bad day. It's just again a great front. So mm-hmm. Kenny Onyeka also had some really great plays. A lot of disruption, forced fumble on the day. You got to hand it to these guys, right? Yeah. Like I don't, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a better front in the country, a better front four. Well, and that'll be an interesting discussion that we can kind of, uh, you know, debate or, or talk about a little bit more when we move into the preview because Guelph as well has some very formidable people on there on their front uh, in the defensive line and at the linebacker position. But just real quick, another part of the narrative with Robitaille that I'm remembering was because of Onyeka's injuries that he had throughout the year, it was, okay, yeah, you can slide him out there to fill in for Onyeka, but maybe that's not where you want him, all things being equal. But he he's proven that whether you call him a tweener based on his body and or skill set, like you can play him at the three, you can play him at, at the DM position. Honestly, depending on on the front of the team you're playing and, you know, down distance, you could probably put him in at the one if you wanted to do, like, just like a pass rushing front or something like that. I Absolutely. mean, such a versatile player and, and so much fun to watch. And, and um, someone someone that's worth mentioning because I don't think he'll end up being, you know, an OUA all-star. But, uh, I mean, he, he deserves it. Like, he's, yeah. he's just one of those guys. He just plays football really effectively. Like, when you come, when you try to wham him with a fullback on the backside of an inside zone play, so you you – motion the fullback or you you sort of run the fullback across to the backside to try to kick out the end yeah he's crunching good fullbacks down the line closing off backside gaps making it much easier for his linebackers to pursue or to to not have to worry about their backside gaps he's essentially taking up multiple gaps or even on like count even if it's a counter tray when you know that guard wants to kick him out he's gonna log everything in because as a defense if you can just make them stretch to the sideline unfortunately in this game when it's alex taylor you have bouncing it to the outside he can very easily make that into a brilliant play even if they want to run it inside that defensive end and there's an art to logging that you know it's not always about going down the line of scrimmage the hardest and 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 you know, penetrating horizontally like that. That's actually yeah. not that helpful. It's about sort of playing a middle ground and stopping someone in their tracks so that you, they can't really run inside, but they have to bubble it really hard yeah. to get outside and maybe you could disrupt the other puller. And Robitaille is, is a level of physical that lets that happen if, you know, maybe sometimes he doesn't do that. I mean, Kenny Onyeka can do that too. And I like I like watching Carlton. No, it's it's is it's kind of a it's kind of sad at times as we go down towards the end of the OUA season. Just as more and more teams get knocked out, there's that moment of, ah, you know what? He was such a pleasure to watch this year. Or ah, he was he was such a baller. And uh, do, are we gonna get to see him next year for some of these guys? It's the last time we see them suit up for their teams. And yeah, it's, just, it's the last rushing of Kenny Onyeka, yeah. brilliant career. Yeah. Probably, I'm just gonna assume he's gonna win the. Uh, the defensive line or the the down lineman the award Memphis. that well I'm I'm assuming he's going to get the nomination from the OUA. oh from the OUA. right right um and then I assume I assume it's pretty obviously Matthew Betts who will get it again True. the mattress because he's the best defensive end I've ever seen in Canada by a long like large margin yeah a large marge a large a large margin yeah and uh, Kenyon Yanka if we don't see him again like we wish him well I think he'll I think he'll have a career in the CFL if he wants it because obviously he's a great player and. I think he's got like an engineering degree, so yeah, I think I heard he, that one. Or he will, so like, good for him. Like, yeah, for sure. He's, he doesn't. He doesn't need the CFL, but he's probably better off without it than if he's doing well, the engineering path. I mean, engineering <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't destroy your body, but it's probably not, not as much too. fun as playing in the CFL. The CFL is a great time. Anyways, uh, Robitaille might also be done. Not sure about the rest of their defensive line. I or think front. I think Casser definitely has more time. But. Yeah, and Walsh I think still has some more time. Obviously, he was out in this one, but uh, you know another good player when he is in there. 
Um, and then you know, I, we can get into this a little bit more, but I think on offense, um, obviously with um, Aruda coming out of CJEP last year, he's – I'm trying to remember. So Well, no, last year wasn't his first year, right? Because remember, he came out of CJEP, then he went to Ottawa. Oh, right. Then he oh. transferred to Carleton. Oh, so how – so, I don't know, this might be his fourth year out, but he definitely has more eligibility because yeah. you don't expend eligibility if you don't dress. But he's been out of high school quite a while, though. Well, yeah, he's not a young guy. Yeah. He's yeah. not a young quarterback in this league. So, we'll, ha- we'll have to see and we'll talk. Either way, I think, yeah. you know, we have more time with Phil Loki because he's in year three, I believe, and uh, I think Quentin Soares will be done. We'll, we'll do the postmortem on Carlton at a later date, but yeah. just, you know, quickly – Tip of the cap to some of the great players who are now done playing OUA football. Absolutely, Carlton. It's been a pleasure watching you this year, and uh, you know all the best moving forward. But you know that leaves us with the two final teams here. We got Guelph, we got Western, and it's it's. I guess we'll just let's just transition into this game, the the preview. Then I, I'm almost regardless of what happens, it, it almost it's almost fitting that these two teams didn't meet because. There was these sort of challengers we thought could take on Western all year long. And I think, number one, it was Laurie. I think coming out of the gate, we were looking forward to that Week 9 matchup, thinking that both these teams could be 7-0. and Who's going to take the first seed? Well, even before we got there, we saw the wheels come off for the Golden Hawks, and we knew that they weren't a contender, and it proved when they played each other. I think the next team, Waterloo, this miracle start of the season that they had, the offense, you know, some of the players on defense. And the trajectory of their defense. The defense looked as though it was getting better and better and better. And it had a long way to go, but it looked like it was climbing that hill pretty effectively. Absolutely. They got blown out by Western. After that, who who are we going to pick? Okay, Ottawa, you're our next savior. Can you take down this Goliath? Bit of a slow start. It looked like maybe they could be in it, but ultimately you go back, watch the tail of that tape. That was Western's game. Not really much of a contest. Carlton, they had the shot in week one, the close game, and this week as well. So it's almost, at the very least, even if, say, let's say Western just blows Guelph out of the water, at least I can go into yeah, this let's, game. Let's say. Let's, let's say some mm-hmm. crazy chance mm-hmm. that that happens, right? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But at the very least, we're going into this game being like, we don't like there's such a weird intangibility in football of like when the when the whistle blows that clock starts ticking down and the game's going on you just don't know what's going to happen and so i almost had this this almost hope since these teams didn't face off yeah definitely a lot of mystery a lot of uncertainty and it's going to be very interesting to see how they match up i mean obviously we expect Guelph's offensive line to be one of the few that's capable of of running the ball on western's front i very much expect Guelph to finish this OUA season, you know, regular season and playoffs with the best rushing performance against Western, probably by a wide margin. Uh, Trey Ford, you mentioned him as being the person with the single most yards against Western on the ground. Which is only at 88. Which is only at 88, but also, again, quarterback running yards are a little different, right? I mean, you, you sort of have to handicap them a little bit differently than running back running yards, and you have to handicap running back yards a little bit differently if they're running zone read stuff because it's just a little easier. All the same, like I, I would be pretty shocked if Guelph can't get a combined hundred and sort of sixty yards on the ground. Yep. And, and I mean, if they can't, if they can't do that, then they just they don't have a you know a snowball's chance in hell, because obviously they're they're not going to be able to pass the ball super effectively against no. Western. I mean, if Carlton can't, Carlton's got a better passing game. Yeah. And if Ottawa can't, and I mean. Who I mean, now Waterloo. I will, I will bring in at least the caveat that the when you mentioned Ottawa and you mentioned Carlton, 
Weather played a factor in it. I just pulled up Environment Canada right now, you know, just to take a look. Saturday in London, we're looking at a mix of sun and cloud, a high of two, and uh, a low of minus four. So it might be cold, but, you know, passing might not be completely um, as, you know, out the window as it was in that Ottawa game where the winds were just howling and then the Carlton game. So, you know, see what we can pull out here. Sure. So, yeah, be optimistic. I mean, yeah. eh, why not? Well, I mean, like we said, these two teams didn't play, but when you put the side-by-side of some of the more pertinent stats that you accumulate as a team throughout the year, here's how they match up. Points per game, Western ranked number one with 48 points per game, Guelph at sixth with 29.4. So that includes two teams that didn't even make the playoffs and Laurier and Queens being ahead of them in passing yards per game. Western actually fifth in the OUA this year with 285, Guelph dead last at 11th with 179.5 rushing yards. This is where, as you mentioned, this could be make an interesting game because they're the one and two ranked teams, but it's more like one, two is just vacant and maybe Guelph at three because it's Western at number one with 271.6 yards, Guelph at second with 203. So almost a 70-yard difference in there. Uh, you know, for what it's worth, penalties. Western, second fewest, uh, with the second fewest penalties in the whole season, that's well, hard to believe. That's what the OUA... That's, that's not what we do at a Western. <laughs> but that's unusual. Well, that surprised me because all year long, it seemed like it was just Carlton and... Uh, or sorry, that was that was fewest. Pardon me. It seemed like... But then for Guelph, they were the fourth most. And yeah, I think Carlton and Ottawa were ahead of them. Uh, and then for... You know, just turn to the defense real quick. Points given up. Once again, Western ranked first. Guelph ranked third. But in terms of the actual number of points, or pardon me, the yards given up, it's 279 yards given up per game for Western, passing and rushing combined, 392 for Guelph. And of course, Western being the team that puts up the most yards in the league, having not played Guelph in the regular season, it's one of those things where for a lot of teams, if you take away the Western game, their defensive stats look okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Max, the Biggest, best example of that because they still ended up like in the top three defensively. And I mean, yeah, you give up an you... average of 23 a game or 20, 20 something a game, but you gave up 50 to Western or yeah, 40, 48 to Western. Talk or about an outlier, right? But so I don't know. Like, I, Guelph's such a weird team because a lot of the games that they've had, a lot of those victories they've had are just, you, you, you talk about the Laurier game, the, the six picks. You talk about the massive Queens comeback. I mean, the game that they lost, this game against Ottawa. I just the 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 two Waterloo games. I mean, the offense is unprecedentedly just having these massive showing outs. It's they're a hard team to bet on because you really don't know what you're gonna get week to week with this team. They definitely vary a ton, right? And I mean, you don't know entirely where you're gonna get with Theo. If Theo can have a nice day passing, if he can get to 200 yards passing, like. They can win games. They've, they've shown that. I mean, and they can win games if he doesn't. They can get win games if he gets his combined yards running and passing to, you know, in the 200s and doesn't have sort of more than maybe a couple turnovers. Yeah. So I don't know what the path to Guelph winning this game is. But, I mean, I know they can do it. I just don't, I just don't think it's going to happen. I yeah. mean, they've created their own luck this year, a lot of it. Can they do it one more time? And to your point, it's one of those things where Guelph pulling out the win. It's not, this isn't like the ultimate David versus Goliath story by any means. It's just that 
if you were like we can throw out a number of situations that could lead to a Guelph victory and we could we could probably throw out like we could come up with a, a a number of them probably none of those would be the actual outcome of how they they're, they're going to win it's going to be a mix of just some some weird bounces a couple just really big plays you know someone stepping up on defense you know getting pressure maybe taking advantage of some of those holes perhaps in the in Western's front, uh, in terms of their offensive line, some the holes that we saw Carlton able to expose at times. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, at the very least, and maybe that's asking this is asking for a lot. I just hope that it's going to be a close game because we've seen Western just now regularly route every team they've played. I do not hope it'll be a close game, but <laughs> but I mean, but I but it would be better for the conference, I think, and it would be um, more entertaining, I suppose. I. I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll be at the game and I'll be there with other Western alum and I'll be having a great time either way. So yeah. Well, I won't be having a great time if they lose. But whether it's a close <laughs> game or not, if it's a close game and they win, or it's a blowout and they win, yeah, I'll be having a good time. Yeah. But ugh, I mean, it's not good for my blood pressure when Western keeps it close. I'll tell you that. No, I mean, I guess if you're Guelph going into this one, it's just the the pressures on Western. Essentially, you can like I think that can play a big factor in terms of I mean, sports psychology. This it, it's the real deal. I mean, all the we talk about uh, whether it's you know chalkboard uh, or not bulletin board material or whatever it is to get you pumped up for this. I think there is value in Guelph just recognizing that hey, like like we could be the ones to to knock them out. You know, yeah, you so, lost you know feel like fifty nothing last year. So it's like. <laughs> I think it was actually a little worse than that. It was worse than that. So yeah. on in, in, the, in the Yates Cup oh, in the, semifinals oh, in the last yeah. year, it right. was it was a, a really devastating loss. Can't get much worse than that. So just go out there and play your game and, hey, let the cards fall where they may. Yeah. Or chips fall. Chips fall, cards. You let whatever's falling fall where it may fall. Now, here's, I, I think, the part where... I think I nailed that. <laughs> sure, why not? Now, here's the part where I'll also be at the game... Um, trying not to get heckled too much in my Guelph gear, but Guelph travels pretty well. We're going to be, you know, we, we'll have numbers there. Uh, depending on the outcome of this game, you and I represent two uh, the both sides of this, of this matchup. Uh, I think there should be some type of uh, friendly wager of some sorts. I don't want it to be friendly. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Well, let's have it then. What do you, what are we thinking? All your life savings on the table right now. No, um, not all that much. I'm buddy. feeling pretty confident over here now. I don't know. Maybe like uh, an ice bucket challenge of some kind. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, we can do well, an ice why, bucket. Why don't, why don't we? Um, we'll we'll hash this out ourselves, and we'll reveal to the audience what we uh, what we want to do yeah. after the game. If uh, there's obviously going to be, well, we're recording this on on Tuesday now. Plenty of time before the actual Yates. If you're listening to this, whenever it is you're listening to it, wherever you're listening, you want to give us a shout of some funny ideas you have. Maybe something involving like you know wearing the opposite team color. You know, this is a number I'd of things we could do. Let's see you dye your hair purple. Uh, funny enough, I've actually done that before, just of my own volition. Nah, but it doesn't uh, work then. <laughs> see, because I couldn't dye my hair red. I see what the Guelph guys have been doing to their hair. And yeah, yeah. Boy, I mean, I, I wonder if they're half hoping the playoffs are over for them soon just so they can cut their hair because it looks so silly. I don't know. Cor- it actually kind of looks, looks cool. sharp, man. It actually kind of <laughs> looks cool. I'm talking I'm talking crap here. It actually kind of looks cool. Yeah. I have to give them that. Well, we'll figure something out nonetheless. And, uh, of course, we'll both be there. So, you know, uh Come say hello. It's always nice to. Uh, I know you got a little shout out once. Was it the Western? It was the Western Waterloo game, right? You got uh, identified by uh, a fan. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, some people came and talked to me, and you know, recognized me as being the the guy from the podcast, which yeah. I am. That's, uh, I am. I am true. that guy, and uh, had a nice chat. I was with the uh, the parents of Austin uh, Austin Miller, 
Austin Fordham Miller, the defensive tackle for Western, and uh, had a nice chat. And they they told me they enjoyed listening to the podcast, and that's great, guys. We we love the positive uh, feedback. We also, you know, we're also interested in criticism too. We're not we're not uh, we're not shy. We you know we we've been football players. We're used to being criticized. We want to make improvements. So (laughs) you know, if you have any suggestions, obviously we're interested in that, and uh, and we we do love to hear it. Yeah, and I guess while we're on that uh, subject right there, big shout out to uh, Colin Jerome for on from the Waterloo game last week. There was that one mysterious play where there was the 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 Guelph punt, the Waterloo fumble, then it went out the back of the end zone, and uh, unprompted, Colin just sent me a text uh, breaking it down. It was the ruling was is just because Guelph didn't have possession or whatever, but you know. Like I said, yeah, if, if we make mistakes here, let us know. You know how to reach us, uh, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Um, and, yeah, come say hello at the and shout-out to Colin Jerome, who played a great game against Ottawa. And Absolutely. Oh, man, he had some pancakes. Oh, my Lord. Oh, well, you know, he he's, must be running out of maple syrup at this point. Well, he, he's, he's got some of those French roots, you know, so he's got his connects on the, on the maple syrup. Oh, ah, so. you know, I, I hit the guy, and I knocked him over, and then I put the maple syrup on top of him. <laughs> That's a great, that's a great Quebecois, and I yeah. know it. I don't need any validation on that. <laughs> we just know that that's true. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be a fun day. Um, come out. It's like I said, supposed to be some sun and cloud. It's gonna be chilly. Dress warmly. You know, get bring some tea, bring some coffee, whatever it is to keep you warm, and just enjoy. Hopefully, what's gonna be a fantastic day of, of you know Canadian football. Drink the purple Kool Aid, baby. Oh boy, run um, with us. <laughs> I do like grape. Um, but you know, we'll call that a wrap there and, uh, let's move on. So the road to the Vanier cup also has a road leading out of Canada West. And the two teams that are still currently on that road are Calgary who beat Manitoba this week at Calgary 37 to 13 in a pretty dominant showing. Obviously you can tell by the score. Uh, I mean, Manitoba did have first blood with, uh, with a field goal, but after that it was, it was uh, it was even until when did it really start to get nasty in the third quarter midway through Calgary started pulling away and I, I mean you know what you're getting with Calgary you're gonna get a great day passing from Adam Sanagra you had that again yeah 368 yards passing three touchdowns one pick he was 17 of 33 so maybe not as efficient in terms of completion percentage as you want, but it's a pretty small critique of a guy who threw for 368 yards. There's plenty of teams in this country that will take that. They're still not <laughs> running the ball really effectively, which is kind of uh, maybe a little bit concerning for their outlook against teams like Western or Laval because you figure, you know, again, you've mentioned it before, getting late in the calendar year. Yeah. It's going to be cold. The conditions might be ugly. Who knows? If you can't really run the ball – it might be a problem. I mean, they only had 10 yards, sorry, 10 attempts, rather, from uh, Jeshron Antwi. They got 50 yards. And then they had, obviously, a couple of uh, a couple of long ones. Jalen Philpott had one for 24. Sinagra had one run for 24. Boston Rowe had one run for 23. That's kind of interesting because he's a linebacker, so I'm not really sure in what context he got that carry. Uh, so not the best day running the ball overall, but I mean, they still got some yards, but just, eh, that's not sort of what you want it to look like. I would think they'd want to run the ball a little more defensively Calgary. Um, I mean, they get pressure with their front. It's not the biggest front, but they, they do get some pressure. Joel Van Pelt had a sack and a half. Nick stats had one, uh, Jacob Plamandon had one and, uh, Boston route a half a sack. They had a lot of tackles for loss overall on the day. So, that's obviously, you know, pretty key if you can disrupt teams' offenses with, with tackles for loss and sacks. That makes a big difference. 
And then in the other game, in the lead-up to the Hardy Cup, which the champion of which will be in the Mitchell Bowl against the winner of the AIDS Cup, that Hardy Cup being uh, next Saturday as well, we had UBC uh, hosting Saskatchewan. And a bit of an upset, Saskatchewan beats UBC 31-28 to in overtime. Now, Saskatchewan has been a good team all year. UBC, they've been kind of up and down. But looking at UBC's stat line, you would say this is the kind of game that they should win. They got 435 yards of passing out of Michael O'Connor. Mm. We all know Michael O'Connor's a great quarterback in Canada. We, we know he's a great quarterback, period. Three touchdowns, one interception, 435 yards, 28 of 41. You don't usually lose games no, when, you, yeah. when you have that stat line. Well, and even, w- even more so when the opposing quarterback, Kyle Simeons, has 220 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Mm-hmm. So a little bit interesting here. Uh, not sure what to make of it because I didn't actually see this game live. I'm just going by the stat sheet here. Well, it came down to the wire for like just looking at once again. Evidently, it went to yeah. overtime. Um, so, you know. And, of course, the OUA connection with that game, as we kind of mentioned last week, is what the future for Steph Potastic will now be. It's true. I mean, it's been – it's well, we've speculated that he might be the next head coach at McMaster – because obviously they've vacated that position yeah. uh, in not the, the most dignified of ways. And, I mean, I guess there's there's some potential for him to maybe land at Guelph. We'll see what they decide Ooh, they want to do with Todd Galloway. Todd Galloway's obviously, you know, proven to be a, a – I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think he's proven to be a decent coach. Like, oh, I, I'm definitely. not – I'm yeah. definitely I'm, – it's a little weird with Guelph, right, because they've made the AIDS Cup Finals. But based on their regular season, which – was a very easy schedule. I didn't think that they should make the eights, and I was, I mean, it was a frustrating team to watch. So we'll see. I mean, I think Todd's done a good job, and I know he's a good guy. I know he's a good recruiter. I know, like, I know people like playing for him, so uh, definitely not wishing him out of that job. Absolutely not. But, you know, Steph Potasic is obviously a massive name. So yeah, he's, a, he's a Mount Rushmore uh, coach in the OUA, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. He is. Take the most, you know, he, he absolutely heavily is. used analogy in sports. Uh, sure. I mean, it <laughs> might, it's a Mount Rushmore maybe with, with more than four faces on it. You know, you'd expect one of them to be Greg Marshall, yeah. one of them to be Steph Potasic, and then, you know, take your pick, look around. I mean, there are some great old school coaches. I don't really go that deep yeah, in my yeah, history yeah. of OUA football, but... <laughs> Steph Potasic is now is now on the job market officially. Yeah. So, or maybe his contract goes through the end of the year. But I, I, UBC would not stop him from pursuing head coaching jobs. I imagine uh, until the contract's up, because that's just you know why. Yeah, exactly. It's it's fairly certain he won't be back at UBC next year. Not because UBC isn't a good spot, but just because he will have head coaching offers. He might even have athletic director offers. I don't know. Like Ooh. he's just one of those guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. People talked about that quite a while ago about him being one of those guys who might end up being in that position. You know, Steph, Steph's a wonderful guy and a, obviously an amazing coach. So one of those guys you want to have involved with university football in some capacity. He is now on the market, and that loss by UBC sets up the Hardy Cup with Saskatchewan taking on Calgary at Calgary next weekend. It'll be a great game. There's no question. I think Calgary will win, but Saskatchewan plays Calgary very hard. They did so earlier in the year at Saskatchewan. Obviously, Calgary having home field advantage, that plays a factor. That's a part of it. But I do think that, you know, these two teams will play extremely hard, and we'll see if Saskatchewan can run the ball on Calgary. They didn't get as much running going against UBC as I would have expected for them to win. 
Uh, they had that 89 yards from Tyler Chow. He's their main back. They sometimes also run it with Colton Clawson, who is their their main receiver. Um, but he's mostly a receiver. So they two touchdowns, 89 yards rushing. Little a little surprising that that was all it took for them to win the game. Uh, not a ton of total offense. You know, just a, just around 300 yards of total offense from uh, Saskatchewan. Where when you you know put that in contrast to UBC, they had. 550 yards so it's 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 an interesting outcome um we'll see how it shakes out it'll be interesting the winner of that game as we mentioned of the hardy cup goes to the mitchell bowl which will be hosted by either guelph or western at this point thank you for at least mentioning guelph's name in that regard that was generous (laughs) of me wasn't it i appreciate it and now so what was happening in the rcq this week well you know we have the final that we expected and the way we got there was a 40-0 beatdown Laval put on Sherbrooke. The Battle of uh, Le Rougeur et Le Vert et Or. Yeah. Gold's, uh, you know, gold's it's, it's, popular. I mean, really, it's just it's just red versus green at this point. Because yeah, gold is so. taken for granted. Yeah, exactly. No one can claim ownership over the... Uh, over the gold, and you know, actually, a, a way, just an aside, real quick. I always, it always frustrated me how when Ottawa got their CFL team back, they went with red blacks. I always thought les les rouges et noirs would have sounded so much just, just sounds sexy. Les rouges et noirs. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't go with Rough Riders again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. You, know, you hate seeing like, you know, I mean, back in the day when the Rough Riders played, played the, the Rough, rough ri- Riders. <laughs> uh, there's a space in ours. Thank you very much. Yeah, please, please note the space. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's how Laval made their way. To the uh, final and uh, Montreal with the forty-eight to two beat down on McGill. I feel like giving up just two points is worse than like to only score two points is worse than getting shut out. I disagree. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it's kind of incredible, right? I well, mean, this is sort of what we expected. These margins of victory, maybe yeah. even a little greater than we expected, but this. This final is exactly what we expected. Yeah, and it's, you know, this is the the two teams that we see go head-to-head, you know, every year. This year, Laval has both games they played against each other, both fairly tightly contested. And, you know, as we kind of talked about with the Guelph-Western matchup, you know, with, with less of a discrepancy between the two teams in this situation with Montreal and Laval than Guelph and Western, but it's it's I, like either team can take this game and it won't be a, a massive surprise. Laval, obviously, Hugo Richard, I think this will be, I think he's probably in his final season now um, playing in the RCQ for Laval, an incredible career he's put together for himself. Um, and so we'll see what happens. Uh, obviously, the winner of that game will go on to take on the winner out of the AUS. Um, which is going to be Saint FX and Saint Mary's getting there by way of um, Saint Saint FX taking out Acadia to the tune of thirty three to ten, and Saint Mary's or pardon me um, Saint Mary's with the bye um, to get into that final game having uh, won the uh, the AUS conference. Yeah, and I, you know we I've been pretty harsh on the AUS uh, over the course of the year, and I mean I, it's it's unfair. I mean obviously they had the. The devastating loss to Western that was on a very short week because of the, the uh, the catastrophe or the the, the cluster mess <laughs> that they had with uh, with respect to the ineligible player ruling that would have caused a forfeiture and right. having to play that game and then like four days later host Western and that was never a recipe for success for them. So I mean I know it's a good conference I know they play good football. I just like to be a dick sometimes, so sorry AUS. But no, I, I'm I'd be you know excited to see how they match up against Laval and Montreal. I mean, obviously you expect the winner of the RCQ to be in the Vanier Cup, but I'd like to see the AUS keep it closer this year, and I imagine they will. And uh, I know they have some really good players. I mean, I 
a, uh, a kid who went to my high school, Gregoire, uh, sorry, not Gregoire, Gregor McKellar. I'm thinking of Gregoire Bouchard at Western. Gregor McKellar. Is Always a, comes back to Western with you. Oh, eh? I mean, it does. Or, or St. Andrews, my high school. So uh, Gregor McKellar is now the left tackle for St. FX. He transferred in from Rice. So obviously I'm, I'm looking forward to watching him. I'd love to see uh, – what he can do out there, and I know I know Santa Fe's has some good players, and they always, they always do, right? I mean, they always produce solid CFL talent. Yeah, I, I know better than some because I had to go against Zenoc Muamba in practice last year, and he is he is devastating. <laughs> so uh, excited to see the AOS. Hopefully, keep it a little closer this year and 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 give a good showing. Yeah, and uh, see what the Loney Looney Loney Looney. I don't see what their championship has in store. Yeah. And uh, St. Mary's is obviously the the favorite at this point. Yeah, they still there was that weird loss they took in the last week of the season to Acadia, but you know I still I, I didn't actually end up diving into the details of that one, but I'm gonna assume as you kind of pointed out, the seven and one record didn't wasn't gonna change anything for them. Might as well rest some guys. I'm still assuming that's probably what happened. Haven't actually checked out the details. But, yeah, St. Mary's has been uh, on top of that conference all year long, and I'd be surprised for a different outcome. But we'll see exactly what uh, what happens uh, with St. FX. And uh, as of right now, the games are slated because, you know, now's when you really want to start seeing who's looking good in those other conferences because, of course, as the Vandy Cup playoffs begin, you're going to want to have a feel for It's always fun to know you know, if you're, say, a Western or Guelph fan coming out of the OUA, it's always nice to know who you're going up against. So if you're going to check out these games, right now they're slated at Santa Fe, St. Mary's, 1 o'clock, Guelph Western, 1 o'clock, Montreal, Laval, 2 o'clock, Saskatchewan, Calgary at 3 o'clock. So they gave a little bit of gap in some of these games. That doesn't necessarily fix any of the issues. Obviously, if you still want to watch them, you're going to have to watch some of these delayed or on the rebroadcasts or whatever it is. Um, still obviously a ways to go for U Sports and the OUA in terms of, you know, marketing their product. But sorry, the Can West game is? Well, it's saying at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Eastern time? Hmm. That's my assumption based on what I'm reading off the U Sports website here. Interesting. So, I would mean a, a noon start for them. Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah, but eh, noon start, that's not that no, what, whatever. No, um, so that's <laughs> make sure your Saturday is free because there are regardless of which game you choose to watch live, or you could probably watch a couple of these live. There are going to be some fantastic games, and of course, this is going to be setting up the Vanier Cup playoffs, the national semifinals, which will be the following week, and then of course the final game itself, the big hurrah, the Vanier Cup. See if Western can repeat. Will it be the RCQ taking them out there, or will it just be Can West representing in that game? We'll have to see when that all plays out. But for now, that just about does it for us. Any last words, Eddie? Uh, the U Sports Top 10 rankings for football just came out, I think. And oh, it's okay. uh, not super interesting. It's sort of what you'd expect with one, maybe one uh, discrepancy. So it, it, the order you'd expect, Western first, Laval second, Calgary third, Montreal fourth, Guelph fifth. Okay, okay. Uh, Saskatchewan sixth. St. FX is ranked 7th. Interesting. So that is two spots ahead of St. Mary's, who comes in at ninth, Ottawa at 8th, and Carleton at 10. I mean, teams that are eliminated, their their final seeding sort of yeah. kind of doesn't matter. But just, just to put it, you know. The St. FX one. St. FX is therefore hmm. favorite in terms of ranking. Hmm. Well, I'm going to go ahead and assume that the people putting that together 
pay a little bit more attention to the AUS than we do here. So, uh, that yeah, I mean, it, we don't ignore the AUS really all that much more than we ignore the RSEQ or Can West. I mean, we're checking in scores on Can West. I'll occasionally watch a game. But yeah. it's not as though we're the only conference we're not watching the AUS. We're not really, I mean, other than checking the scores, we're not watching the RSEQ. Yeah, fair enough. But it's all about the OUA baby. Who's going to come out on top? You'll have to stay tuned. Show up to London, TD Stadium this Saturday, 1 o'clock. It's going to be a beautiful day. And even if it is, I'm still expecting to see your smiling faces there. Wear purple, wear red, wear whatever you want. Come wear out. purple. Just purple. <laughs> and cheer on your squad or just cheer for a fantastic football game. We'll be there. And we'll be here next week with you at the 55.